Hello and welcome to this IBR Business Profile, a podcast from the Iowa Business Report, presented by Advance Iowa, leading successful business, innovation, growth, and transitions. Search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook and get more at AdvanceIowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. In the 105th edition of our program, which aired during the first weekend of January 2022, we concluded a two-part conversation with Dr. Lou Honnery, president of Environmental Lubricants Manufacturing Incorporated. This podcast contains our full conversation about how the original idea for the company came about and how a devastating Iowa experience led ELM to come up with a new, safer production method, and in the process, changed an industry. Environmental lubricants manufacturing is the only company that I know of in the United States that manufactures only environment-friendly grease and lubricants. These are lubricant and machinery grease that normally is made with petroleum products, but we make them with vegetable oils, primarily with soybean oil. So our products are biodegradable, environment-friendly, and they have the same performance or better than petroleum products, but they're all environment-friendly. And I was going to ask how it is that such a specialized business would be in the heart of rural Iowa, but perhaps that last component, soybean oil, gave me a clue. Yes, yes, exactly. In fact, uh, we have had people from all over the world fly into our facility to look at our work and learn about our bio-based products from Japan, Korea, and everywhere. And it's funny because I bring them out of the entrance of our company and point out about maybe 200 yards away, we have a soybean field right next to us. And so we tell them, we, when we say we're practically in the middle of the field, we truly are in the middle of the Iowa soybean fields. I think there could be no better place for the business, though, to be right there. And again, for those visitors who may come, as you say, from across the globe, this is the product right here that you're working with. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Our farmers are so efficient and so good at what they are doing that we have always been blessed by having an excess capacity of uh, products uh, that are ready to be exported. So our mission, which all started from the University of Northern Iowa, is to really add as much value to the soybeans right here within the state as possible. So rather than sending the product out of state to be processed or somewhere to be processed for going out to overseas, we love to see all the value just captured right here within the state of Iowa. So how did this idea for this business come about? It's a rather fascinating story, but it also shows ingenuity in my mind. Sometimes uh, they, they say the perfect storm, right? I um, am just a, a born entrepreneur. I've always been trying to rock the boat and, and create something different than what other people have been doing. And uh, in, uh, I, I was a professor at the University of Northern Iowa for 31 years. In one of my hydraulic classes, mechanical engineering class, one of my students in 1991, which is 30 years ago, wrote a paper on biodegradable hydraulic oils. A mobile corporation at the time had introduced a product called EAL224H, which was a rapeseed-based. Rapeseed is a European crop. It competes with soybean and so on in, in non-food um, areas. 
It was a rapeseed base, uh, which the canola version is Canadian version of rapeseed. It's called canola. So they uh, had introduced a product uh, that for the first time I, I was hearing that was made of vegetable oils and it was biodegradable, but it worked in hydraulic systems. And the student actually asked the mobile distributor to send us two five-gallon pails of the product and we tested it in our hydraulic training units and, and it was just amazing. And I'm thinking why nobody has done this before why, or why nobody has done it in the U.S.? And frankly, we did a full research and we could not find even one article on hydraulic oils made of soybean oil or any vegetable oil here in the U.S. So we went to Iowa Soybean Promotion Board and got a small grant to look at the possibility of making hydraulic oil out of soybean oil. And uh, we later learned that the student who wrote the paper was actually a John Deere engineer who was taking the course and he was part of a team with John Deere that they were secretly developing the first tractor hydraulic fluid made of canola oil, which is a Canadian crop. And they had decided that soybean oil was not going to be stable enough for use in hydraulics. So they didn't pursue that since I didn't know the difference between soybean oil and canola oil and not understanding the chemistry of it. I decided, well, we're going to make it happen. And so this was really how we got it started. And that's fascinating to me because, again, of how the whole thing started. You had a student, but again, someone with professional experience, a returning learner. Sure. And they thought that soybean oil just was not going to be stable. And, and you basically just said, well, why not? Why and not? that took okay. it to the exactly. place where it was feasible. And it's interesting because my neighbor actually was the person who also worked at John Deere and was responsible for all the fluids and liquids, lubricants at John Deere. So I asked him to join an advisory group for me to advise me because I knew that I'm going to be only a mechanical engineer. I don't have any understanding of the liquid lubricants and formulations and so on. And since he joined the group, then we had people from Cargill, from the Lubrizol Corporation, which is an additive company, from Pioneer Hybrid International at the time. They were not part of DuPont yet. And so we had a fantastic advisory group. And they taught me that I can actually chemically modify soybean oil to behave like canola oil, which we did. <laughs> and then we took the same additives that uh, Deer had developed and incorporated into our soybean oil. We tested it for four years in the field. And in 1997, actually, we went on the steps of the Capitol. Governor Branstad, at the time he was the governor for first time around, and he came and announced to the world that we have the first ever tractor hydraulic fluid made of soybean oil. And it was on the cover of the Fluid Power Journal, which is a technical journal that I was you know, involved with. The next year, we also did a truck grease. We checked it. We tested it with Ruan Corporation all around the country, and that was good. We had a chainsaw lubricant. We were licensing these products, but the products weren't selling because people didn't know about them, and the, the companies that were getting the license from us were farmer co-ops. They didn't know how to sell liquid lubricants. And so I went to the dean of the College of Business, whom I was reporting to at the time. I said, you know, if you want to help the farmers, the only way we could make this successful is to show the petroleum industry that they can actually make living out of selling soybean oil-based lubricants and greases. And the only way we can do that is to actually form a company and make the products 
and show it to them that it works and show that it makes profit, somebody is going to take it out of our hand within five years. And the dean went along and we formed environmental lubricants manufacturing in 2000. At first, we wanted to do all of this as a virtual company to contract with other companies to make the grease and the hydraulic oils and so on. But uh, many of the companies we approached could not make the vegetable-based greases. Their units were not ready. They, they, they didn't have the expertise. The product will come too thin or too thick. And so we basically went and opened up a facility in Plainfield, Iowa, and uh, set up some machinery, and we started making products there. Within four years from the time we started manufacturing grease in 2002 until 2006, we were number 470 fastest growing private company, according to annual survey of Inc. magazine of different companies. We went from 400,000 in the first year to $5.4 million. We had converted the entire Norfolk Southern Railroad, which is one of the five class one railroads in the U.S., to use only our grease in all the curves. They have a curve grease. They grease the curves, curvature of the tracks. And that was two and a half million pounds of grease a year that we were sending to just that company. We really thought that in a couple of years, somebody will come and happily take the either <laughs> on the supply side, like a Cargill and Pioneer or someone, or on the demand side, a Shell or a Texaco, or somebody will buy the products and start selling it. Unfortunately, also on March of 2007, we had a fire in the facility. And the fire was due to the way we make the grease, which we heat a heat transfer oil, they call, to five, 600 degrees Fahrenheit and pump that oil in the jackets of the vessel. This is a dual vessel built into each other. With, we call it a jacketed vessel. So you have a high temperature oil that goes into the jacket of this vessel, then you cook inside of it. And that's what everybody makes the grease with. And that heat transfer oil is actually a pretty dangerous process, and we didn't know much about it. We had a 6 million BTU oil heater that was heating the oil using propane gas. We had 5,000 gallon reactors that were reacting the, the lithium hydroxide and making the lithium grease. And uh, everything was very well designed. We were producing a lot of products, but in the height of the reaction at lunchtime, the line that has the high temperature oil in it, for some reason broke and created a lot of smoke. And so luckily everybody was trained. People came out of the facility, the fire department was there. But when they opened the door to get rid of the smoke is when the fire restarted and we were all standing there and they couldn't control that. And so that's how we lost it. The reason I mentioned this is that unfortunately this year, those who have been watching the news learned about one of the largest grease manufacturers in the world, which was in Rockton, Illinois, called ChemTool, it went up in flame because of the same exact problem. Some contractor apparently punctured that heat transfer line at the height of the reaction and the heat transfer oil, which is like 600, 650 degrees Fahrenheit, got out and started the fire and they could not stop the fire. And that's, as I said, the largest contract grease manufacturer that I know. So 130 million pounds of grease a year disappeared out of U.S. market in, in June of this year. And so this is a serious issue with the technology that people have been using since 1940s. And so when this fire happened in 2007, 
I just really was afraid to make Greece again because the process appears so dangerous. And the more research I did, the more I found that this event happens maybe once a quarter somewhere in the world, a facility goes up in flame because this is how people are used to and they think it works. And, and so there are all sorts of reasons why this could happen. Long story short, we created a, a new way of making grease by researching for alternative sources of heat. We looked at infrared, we look at sonic heating, we look at microwave heating and induction heating. And of all of those, we found that microwave heating could actually work really good. I give the example that my wife always heats up milk on a stove in a pot, and she has to stand there and stir it. Otherwise, it burns at the bottom because the bottom is so hot and touching the heating element. I put a cup of milk in the microwave, and a minute later, it's brought to right temperature. I can go a minute, 10 seconds to get it hotter if I wanted to. And then I can grab the cup and take it out. The cup is cold, but the milk is hot. The reason being that microwave excites the molecules of the milk and generates heat by friction of the molecules moving about. And so it is much safer. It's much faster. It doesn't need mixing. And so I'm just wondering why nobody is looking, has looked at this. Luckily, we have one of the largest microwave manufacturers in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. It's Amtec Microwave Systems. They've been around. They're very advanced. They have some of the best microwave equipment in the world. And so I went there. They happily cooperated. And we got a 800-gallon vessel, and we attached it to their microwaves, and we started heating up products, and it worked. So in 2010, we came to our new facility and started another grease plant. This time, right from the beginning, we started working with microwaves. And in the process, we learned that not only microwaves are safer to run and make the grease, but they're actually much better in terms of not damaging the product during processing. Because getting back to that example of the milk on the stove, when we burn one layer at a time and the walls of the vessels are so hot, every layer of the soybean oil that you expose to that high temperature oxidizes and becomes plasticized and becomes thick and actually damages the product. Whereas when we cook with microwave, we don't have any hot spots. <laughs> you just excite the molecules of the product and you get the heating done. And the temperature control is very accurate. When we want to go to 200 degrees centigrade, we go to 199 to 201. Within one degree, it always goes there exactly to the temperature. If there is a problem, if you have a runaway reaction, all you have to do is just shut the microwaves off. All input heat stops. The only thing you have to worry about is the heat of the product. Whereas in the conventional way, even when you shut the system off, all the mass of that heated oil that is in the jacket of the vessel will continue to provide heat. So this is a much, much safer system. And of course, people think microwaves are like nuclear waves or nuclear radiation. It really is not. Microwaves are just radio waves that go into the product. They have a north and south magnetic field. So that magnetic field is north-south that basically changes direction 915 million times a second because our microwaves are 915 megahertz. And so the molecules of the products also have magnetic lines of force north and south. These north and south will attract, north and north will repel. And so the magnetic fields 
cause the magnetic lines of these products to try to align and they can't keep up and, and move and vibrate and run into each other and generate fractional heat. So we have to explain that really microwave heating is no different than putting fire on their products and causing them to expand and start moving and jump bumping into each other and heating, except we use magnetic lines of force or the magnetic energy of the waves to excite the molecules. And I truly believe that that's the 21st century technology because once it catches up with the food industry and people who are cooking ketchup or soup or, or milk or dairy products, they will realize that they don't need to have jacketed vessels with high pressure steam, which is very dangerous, or heat transfer oil, which is very dangerous, or mixing arm to wipe the inside of the vessel. They could just bring the microwaves directly into the vessel. For years, people have thought you cannot apply microwaves to metals or metal vessels because they have put a can of tuna in the microwave and they saw it arcing. But that's really a misconception. If you have a non-ferromagnetic material, you can put it in the microwave and it would not arc. Also, I tell people if you put a fork in the microwave, it arcs between the tongues of the fork. But if you put a spoon in the microwave, especially if it's a stainless steel spoon, it will not arc. If you have too much microwave, it arc between the spoon and the wall of the microwave, but the spoon itself would not create arcing. Because like you with can, the fork, you've got the different tines that it would be bouncing off against and creating more of a yeah, friction. It, well, it is a gap, and yeah. the, the gap would jump. Even the gaps, we can go to certain size of a gap, and we will not even get arcing. The technology is over 80 years old, and it's very, very advanced. The safety is incredible. If there is any leakage of microwave, we have sensors that pick up on it. If there is any arcing, we have sensors that pick up on it. So it's a very safe system. 11 years, we have been cooking millions of pounds of grease here at ELM. It's been great. The best thing that has happened to us now is that this process has helped cut the cost of production to the point where now we have a bio-based and biodegradable soybean oil-based grease that matches the price and performance of petroleum products. Biggest barrier to, to our success because our prices were maybe three times more than petroleum products before we came up with this processing technique. You had the fire in Plainfield. It would have been very easy to say, we're just out of business. This is too high risk, etc. Right, right, but, right. But instead, you said there has to be a better solution to get yes. to the end result. Yes. And that has led to this amazing product, which now is cost effective. And at the same time that you have hit the market with a cost effective product, one of the suppliers through an alternative manufacturing process now is out of business or greatly reduced and so now there's even greater demand so people right. now are looking toward this product this appears to be just a tremendous jumping off point for the business with apologies to the others yeah. we don't want anyone to be put out sure, of business sure, but sure. realistically you're filling a niche absolutely i think again you read in the history of technology and most entrepreneurs they always talk about sometimes the perfect storm or the stars lining up, right? Start of this year, we thought we were going to have the market last year, but COVID came and interrupted us. But starting January, first of all, we've got a generation of young people who are becoming the leaders of today who are genuinely interested in sustainability. They have children, they have families, they're beginning to think of the environment. 
and they want to reduce that carbon footprint. So we have got a generation of people who are very serious about this. It's not like the previous generation who like to have just the appearance to say it's good to be some environment friendly or we are it. But this group of young people includes my own son who has, you know, we have two grandchildren. They are very serious about this kind of technology. They want environment friendly products. They don't want the trucks that are on the road, drop the grease on the road that goes into the ditches and goes into the soil. They like something that biodegrades. So we have got a tremendous interest in sustainability on one side. Then we have got this company that one of the best companies in the world that goes up in flame, unfortunately, and that creates a shortage of grease supply within the country. It really put us on the map suddenly, which we are very pleased with. In fact, we're looking at a, a major expansion coming this March. We're going to triple our production to just keep up with all the interest we've got this year. And as important as that part is, uh, last year, we got one of the largest grease kettle manufacturers in the world, which is a Canadian company. They came and got a worldwide marketing right to the technology so they can put this technology all around the world. So we're going really on two fronts now. On one hand, we're manufacturing bio-based products with microwaves to sell it to our customers and so on. On the other hand, we are promoting the use of microwave technology to be used for food and industrial processes and the greases. Dr. Lou Honnery, president of Environmental Lubricants Manufacturing Incorporated, online at elmusa.com. We spoke via Zoom on Tuesday, December 21. In light of the better cost and greater demand, Dr. Honnery says the company plans to triple production in 2022. The Iowa Business Report radio program and podcast is presented by Advance Iowa leading successful business, innovation, growth, and transitions. More at AdvanceIowa.com. Support for the Iowa Business Report also comes from the Iowa Business Council, a nonpartisan nonprofit organization working to elevate Iowa's economy through leadership, research, and advocacy. IowaBusinessCouncil.org. The Iowa Business Report airs on dozens of radio stations across the state of Iowa with podcasts posted right here along with additional IBR extras and IBR business profiles. I'm Jeff Stein for the Iowa Business Report.